ओम ज्ञान चिमिरंधस्यलाकाया so any questions i will read from this yeah, yeah. yesterday well, well, first of all you can see if those who ask the questions are here because we might be i know of shouting into the cave and there's no one there kind of thing i know of two persons who are here okay and uh, then what is uh, the influence of uh, the proper cow protection on our own spiritual life and on the spiritual standard of the ISKCON communities. Very, very important point of discussion. There can be no actual peace and stability in society unless cows are protected. At the present time, like everything else in the world, every, the cows are considered an economic entity. Everything in the modern society works on the principle of money and sense enjoyment. So cows, they are considered in terms of how much milk we can squeeze out of them and then when they don't give enough, you slaughter them. Women are considered bodies to be used for sense enjoyment. Old people are considered unimportant because they can neither contribute to the economy nor are they objects of sense enjoyment. They're just nuisances to be looked after. And it's gradually coming in the modern, advanced Western society where they will kill old people when they become economically and sensually useless. That idea will gradually become more and more introduced. So, uh, <clears throat> cow slaughter is, is a, one of the prominent symptoms of a totally demoniac society. And it's amazing that people even think, just like you, you find uh, recently they had the election for the new pope and they're thinking uh, the pope is, uh, the old pope, he died, he was a very saintly person, but how can he be saintly if he's a cow eater? This again is a thing like, uh, you know, like I was saying this morning, that it's not the kind of thing we want to publicly preach very widely because people are very sentimental about these things and they can't understand these points very easily. So it's it's probably wise not to go around telling people in public that actually the the Pope is a is a sinful person, but it's a fact according to the Vedic understanding. Now um Prabhupada wanted us to establish these Vedic farming communities. And he said that 50% of my work is not done by not, by not establishing these farming communities. And if we consider what Prabhupada did, then that 50% is a very big thing. It's also that the, the work that Prabhupada did, it was unimaginable to anyone else that, than Prabhupada that it could be done. He was the one who did it. He was the one who established Krishna consciousness all over the world. And that 50% that Prabhupada said of my work, I, I didn't do it. it if, for us, it seems like a very difficult thing. That how, how on earth are we going to establish this Varnashram? But unless we do that, um, our preaching, it seems to be almost self-defeating, in, in, at least from the uh, immediate vision. 
Of course, there is certainly no loss if anyone takes to Krishna consciousness. That is very good. But what we're seeing is that people take to Krishna consciousness, but then uh, due to force of economic necessity, they get sucked back into the uh, modern materialistic way of life. Prabhupada wanted to set up these farm communities as the alternative to the modern economic system. People can live simply and um, sinlessly and protect the cows and chant Hare Krishna. The question is specifically about cow protection, but cow protection, massively important as it is, is only one part of the jigsaw puzzle. By that I mean that cow protection comes along with Varnashram, village life. You can't just have cow protection and not all these other things also. One important reason for that is because uh, cow protection means at least 50% bull protection. To get milk, <coughs> cows have... Cows become (coughs) milch cows when they have calves. Have any medicine for cough? I'm getting a cough. Our herbal doctor. (coughs) Anyway. And then 50% of the uh, calves are male calves. So unless they are engaged for plowing the land then we're going to think that they are an economic nuisance and then we'll want to sell them off. It's only practical. and Sell them off means they get killed. Or when the cows get old, we think it's too much trouble to look after them. We don't have the money, it's too expensive. So we're going to feel like that unless we know how to uh, engage the, the cows and, and calves. People are unaware of the laws of karma. I was saying this morning that uh, I gave a class about the tsunami in Chennai where, this, where the tsunami hit just the next Sunday after that, about five days after it. Actually, our temple there is very close to the sea. It's about a kilometer to the sea, but then it's completely flat in between the sea and the temple, completely flat land. But there's a, a national highway in between, which is raised land. So... Actually, we were in Salem, which is in, in, it's what, 400 kilometers inland from, 350 kilometers inland from Chennai on the day of the tsunami. Yeah, it's about, that means it's about 300 kilometers. Yeah. About 300 kilometers inland at the, on the day of the tsunami. And we didn't know anything about it. It, it came at about 6 o'clock in the morning. We didn't know anything about it till the evening time. When uh, one of the devotees, Mother phoned up from Europe and said, are you okay? She said, yep. No problem from the tsunami, from the what? We never heard of the word before. The word suddenly became famous. So, yeah, then anyway, next Sunday I was scheduled to be in Chennai for the lecture. Oh, yeah, so anyway, then then when we got that news, then we phoned up Iskon Chennai to find out if, if our temple and our devotees were okay. Said, yeah, they saw from the from the upper floor of the ashram, they saw the huge wave come in and it came up as far as the raised embankment of the national highway and that's as far as it went. Krishna protected them. And although we have uh, 
you know, several hundred, you know, maybe more than a thousand congregational devotees in Chennai. Um, none of them, by the grace of God, were. Uh, some of the, you know, some of them had some flooding and this and that, but no one was injured or killed. So anyway, I was saying in the lecture that uh, the most surprising thing about the tsunami is that why only this tsunami after such a long time and only such a s small effect when we consider that there are millions of animals being killed practically every day. Yeah. It's, it's surprising there's not more sinful reactions. The, uh, the, the people who are most affected were fishermen, the fishermen community who live, who live on huts along the coast. So people were very concerned for the fishermen, but they're never concerned for the fish who they killed in thousands every day. Due to this uh, <coughs> mechanistic worldview where they just see that everything is a product of chemicals, they don't know the subtle laws of nature. They don't recognize that for all their slaughtering, that they have to suffer. Prabhupada came to America while the Vietnam War was going on. And the uh, young people, they were uh, young people who, the, who were the main people that took an interest in Prabhupada's preaching. They were very much against the Vietnam War. There were so many protests against the Vietnam War. And the young people couldn't understand that. Why do we have to be sent, flown halfway around the world to fight people that we don't know anything about them? They're, they're not our enemies. They're not attacking us. And 50% chance we're going to get flown back in a box. But Prabhupada gave the explanation. He said, because you're killing so many animals, therefore the flowers of your country, your youth, have to be sent to be slaughtered. Okay. That is the law of nature. So the same thing is going on now. There are so many people in America and especially in Britain, they're protesting. Why are you sending our men to fight in Iraq? They're not our enemies. It doesn't make any sense, but they don't see the link between the, uh, sinf the, the collective karma that, that uh, what's the word, that accrues to nations that indulge in mass slaughter. Northern Ireland, there was so much fighting for so many years. And no doubt it will flare up again. They think they've engineered some peace, but it will come again. The main economic product in Northern Ireland is beef. So how, how long can the peace go on? You may think, well, here in Czech, there's no problem of terrorism or any such thing. But really it's just a matter of time before your karma catches up with you. Not you, your devotees, but the nation. Sure, there's plenty of animal killing in this country. Probably this area more, isn't it? Is this a, a, a animal slaughter area? And so much uh, alcoholism. People just think it's normal. They make such a big fuss over drugs like heroin and LSD and crack. But what about alcohol? That's just as bad a drug, isn't it? Sure. The, the, the effect it has on people and they... they, they when you're drunk, you go, people, they go and kill other people or either, die, either by attacking them or just by driving so crazily. It's actually a very dangerous intoxicant. It's more dangerous than marijuana, I'd say. But it's just considered part of the culture. What would a Czech be without his beer? 
shrine of a real man. But it's uh, it's sinful. It's not only I mean Czechs, Germans, British. You know, the real man has to drink beer. Tobacco is also, it's a, you know, it's a very dangerous drug. It uh, doesn't have bad social effects. I mean, you don't, but it, 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 uh, it's very destructive, intoxicant. But it's socially acceptable, and it's a big business. So the karmic reactions have to come. <laughs> when I was a, a kid in England, then... Uh, we used to get this news of like how in America they have gangs that used to shoot others and they shoot the police and all this kind of thing. We thought, well, that's America. That can never happen in England. England. We are more civilized. It's just a matter of time. It's all come and so much more. A few years ago, I was in, uh, when I was in England, I was, I was coming back on the plane to India and I saw the British newspaper and there was a whole report on this new phenomena of, of Gangs of girls aged 11 and 12 going around and attacking uh, adults, men who, who were just one or two together, and killing them and taking whatever money they had and then spending the money on crack. By saying phenomena, that means not just one or two, but it's, you know, a, 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 a recurring socially or... or and a, and a newly established pattern within society that such gangs exist. I remember I, I read one of the reports from Henley-on-Thames, which is like a small, peaceful, respectable country town, and that's just one of the places where they have such gangs. So uh, a few days later in India, I was meeting one young couple, devotees, who are from Detroit, okay. husband and wife, and I mentioned this to them. He said, look, it's getting really bad in the West. And they said, oh, that's, you know, that's already old in Detroit. That's, you know, we're from Detroit. That's already a long time going on there. So, welcome to the modern world. You are now free. You're no longer under communist tyranny. You're now under another branch of Kali's tyranny. You have the freedom to be a, a, a bigger Rakshasa than previously. Really, it's it's horrible, horrible civilization where the churches they're performing homosexual marriages. A homosexual marriage, I mean, that's bizarre and horrible, isn't it? What do you think? You can't say that in America. It's illegal to say that. But that the churches are doing it and saying it. Yeah, it's a religious act that we're doing in the name of God. Then how sick has society become? And just in case you didn't know, there are moves from some prominent leaders within ISKCON who want to incorporate this into ISKCON also. So, no, I, I, I don't, it's not a point of joking, it's, it's a nightmare actually. The thing is, society is so contaminated in the West that people, just like they think cow slaughter is something normal, so now it's just like, well, you know, homosexuality is just, it's just normal. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. So, you know, we can have homosexual marriages in, in Iskon also. What's wrong? It's a good idea. This is the uh, contamination of Kami society. It's so degraded. I mean, even my sister, she's a meat eater, but last time I saw her, which was the first time I saw her after 28 years, um, 
she she was saying to me that she thought it was you know she she thought it was disgusting that they're teaching sex education to eight years olds in the in the school and they're teaching you can either have heterosex or homosex and you know it's up to you. Is in England. I mean, she never studied Srimad Bhagavatam. She doesn't. She doesn't. No, she never heard of Srimad Bhagavatam. I maybe she has a set in her home. I don't know, but she's you know a regular English housewife, you could say. But uh, and she's she's one generation out of step. <laughs> in one generation, how the how the values have changed in Czech Republic in the villages. People used to leave their doors open. Is it like that? They used to. No, used to. Used. I used to see in Ireland. We'd come in the village, in the middle of the day. You go knock on the door. The door's wide open. There's no one in the house. They went out maybe to have a cup of tea at their friend's house or something, or to buy a loaf. I went there to buy something in the shop, but they just left the, they left the door wide open. They didn't think there's any need to close it. No question of doing that now. Society is degrading very fast. So cow protection is is just one one major factor in in the civilization of society. The whole society is degrading so fast; it's it's mind-boggling. So uh, just like one generation ago, we couldn't have imagined a homosexual marriage being being. Uh, Allowed, what to speak of being promoted by the churches, sure. allowed by law. Right now. So, what's what's the next generation? What what are they going to come up with? I mean, you don't even want to try to imagine. It's too horrible. So, what is impossible for a society that that flourishes on on pornography and uh, cow slaughter? <laughs> Wars started for econ. Economic gain. A few years ago, I asked devotees after, shortly after the wars were finished in the ex-Yugoslavia, what was the war all about anyway? And they said money. It was just all started. A few of the leaders just all got together and cooked up a war. It's made lots of money. That's all. So really, our movement we have to take seriously these instructions of Prabhupada to to show a better alternative. So far, many people have got our books, and many people are appreciating the philosophy therein. But we really have to show a better alternative, and then many people will actually want to take that up. We have to show how we can live simply, depending on the cows, the land, and Krishna. Otherwise, uh, economically, we're slaves of this system, which which uh, spoils the fiber of human character. It's a big subject, very, very important. It's not such an easy thing to do because the the laws and the economic system are set up to favor the big businesses, not to favor the small farmer. But this is actually the biggest revolution. There's a bigger revolution than marching in the streets and shouting. <laughs> the biggest revolution is if people they reject the economic system and produce their own food. We don't need your money. We're not involved with your money, and then that—that's then they're defeated. We're we're slaves economically. We're slaves as long as as long as we partake in their monetary system, which is all cheating. Monetary system is all cheating. That's that's another topic which Prabhupada he 
He saw that how by giving paper which has no intrinsic value, they're actually cheating you. Any time they can just declare it null and void. Or all the time by inflation, they're cutting away the value of it. Hmm. Anyway, these are very, very big topics. Hmm. And there's one connected question. When the cows are not being killed anymore, how how practically uh, will mm. be looking their aging and their death and what to do with their dead bodies <laughs> and how to explain this to materialists? I will translate that. Yeah, we, what will happen to the cows if we don't kill them? There will be a population explosion of cows. We'll be overwhelmed. <laughs> we'll be overwhelmed by cows everywhere. It's a typical stupid objection of the Kamis. You don't have to worry. Anyway, uh, you see, in modern society, they, they, they always say how you have to manage everything, but you see, everyone just keeps cows according to their need, and you don't have to eat them, so you just breed according to the need, that's all. And if you protect the cows, then Krishna will protect us. Then you don't have to worry. Traditionally, the cows, they graze in the forest, So there's plenty of there's plenty of land in the world. It's just that we use so much land for growing tobacco and coffee and chocolate and ingredients for beer and and then grazing grazing land for cows for for beef cattle. We don't need beef. So Prabhupada said you don't you don't grow food for the cows, they just graze. For human needs, we grow vegetables and fruit and wheat and all these things. And the cow eats the part that we don't eat. So there's no problem. It's an imagined problem. Those who would, for the welfare of the planet, they were, they're killing the cows. This kind of thought comes to mind when we read the newspapers instead of reading the Srimad Bhagavatam. When we get our knowledge of reality from the universities instead of from Vyasadeva. And we start to think of reality in terms of statistics produced by karmis instead of understanding that everything is ultimately managed by Krishna, not by man. The modern way of thinking is that man, we have to manage everything. But the Vedic system is you live according to the laws of Shastra and then Krishna takes care of everything else. Anad bhavanti bhutani parjanya anasambhavaha yagyad bhavati parjanyo yagya karma samudbhavaha then karma karma brahma brahm vidhi uh, how does the next verse go anyway it gives the um, it's uh, the basic need of human society is food which is produced of rains rains regulated rains come from yagya and yagya comes from following the path of dharma which is prescribed in the vedas so we don't have to worry about uh, how we're going to manage the 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 numbers of cows and we don't have to worry about all that all we have to do is follow the Vedic system some management is there no doubt yeah karma brahma karma brahmod bhavam vidhi brahmakshara samud bhavam tasmat sarvakatam brahma nityang yagye pratishtitam his regulated duties they are given in the Vedic Uh, literatures which come from the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Therefore, the Supreme Lord is always situated in acts of sacrifice. 
So in Vedic culture, management is there by in Vedic culture, management is there by kings, no doubt. But everything is centered on yagya, pious activities, uh, which culminate in yagya. And then this society is managed by cooperation of the demigods with human beings. It's a completely different outlook on life to that of the modern mechanistic worldview, that man is managing his environment. As devotees, we need to inculcate this worldview. If we try to understand Krishna conscious philosophy on a template of modern academic scientific thinking, then we'll get uh, mental paralysis. You can translate no. that, that's pretty good. Or schizophrenia, something like that. But what happens generally is that devotees then, they try to start explaining everything in terms of modern science, but it doesn't work. Just like they're trying to explain how, well, actually the moon is not really further away than the sun and all this kind of thing. But Prabhupada said they couldn't have gone to the moon because the moon is a heavenly planet. The Vedic literature describes the moon as a heavenly planet. And the moon is the source of nourishment for the vegetables. So, how can the moon just be full of dust, like they say? It must be full of vegetables, full of life. And being a heavenly planet means it's in a different it, within the 14 worlds it's not going to be close to the earth it must be far away from the earth so these attempts to try to make the Prabhupada statements fit with modern science it's, it's doomed from the beginning because Prabhupada's statements about the moon are so completely different to that of modern science <laughs> you should just accept you know you either accept the scientists or accept the Shastra one or the other but we're so deeply influenced by this modern so-called scientific way of thinking that we think it must be right, and we think, well, if we go to the university and say these things, people will think that we are foolish, so we should say something else, or believe something else. Then we become an atheist, <laughs> by not believing in Shastra. Or pretending to believe in it, but uh, giving it a completely... But, yes, we believe in Shastra, and then speaking something which is completely against Shastra, and trying to say that this is actually Shastra. That's what the Mayavadis do. Vedna-māniya bodhoito nastik Veda-śraya-nastik-yavād bodhake-adhik the, the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said the Buddhists are, are atheists because they don't accept the Vedas. But the Mayavadis are even worse because they pretend to accept the Vedas but they completely twist its meaning. So this is very dangerous if we say that yes, we accept everything Prabhupada says but actually we have, we, we have a different interpretation of it. <laughs> or that, yeah, we fully accept the Vedas and the Vedas support... Uh, in Vedic culture, homosexuality is considered auspicious. These are some of the things which are being propagated in some parts of ISKCON today. So it's better just to be an atheist and say, look, you know, we believe in enjoyment and we like it through the back door. So, you know, be a straightforward atheist rather than a hypocritical so-called devotee. Sarva yan mang vadasi keshava. Arjuna said to Krishna, I accept everything that you say. That is the way to understand Shastra. Not that Arjuna is listening to Krishna and said, well, can I just run off to the university and get this checked by the scholars and if they give it the approval, then I'll accept you. And Arjuna jumps off the chariot, goes off to the university and comes back and says, Krishna, you're lucky. The, the professors have decided, they took a vote and it was a narrow one, but they decided that you might be the personality of Godhead and according to some Hindu traditions, that's acceptable. So, Okay, I accept you as God. 
subject to further research. Hare Krishna. Anything else? Oops, so many the piling. So many questions. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry, I'll try and give brief replies. Peklo. I, I first read in Czech. Oh, it's a Czech just what? Chinmoy. No, no, nothing about Chinmoy. <laughs> Chinmoy is a very good word, actually. It's just that some rascal misappropriated it. Even Vivekananda is a good word, but it was got misappropriated by one of the biggest rascals in history. Vivek means discrimination. But that person had... Anyway, let's not talk about that rascal. Yeah, okay, go on. What is the benefit of of the hell that it exists at all? Because what is what? The, name of the, the, the benefit of a hell. What is the benefit of hell? When a person uh, suffers a lot and then he comes out, but he doesn't remember anything and thus he cannot uh, learn anything from that experience. Yeah, but you do. You do learn of it. We are subject to hellish punishments even on this plane, on, the, on, the, on earth. And that uh, serves, and, and that accompanied by Shastric knowledge serves as a warning that there's, there's more of this and worse. When someone gets a serious disease, it's a hellish condition. So then uh, they're informed that this is due to, to your sinful reactions. And there's much more coming unless you get cleaned up. So in this way it's part of Krishna's plan to help us to come to our proper condition. Just like the Prabhupada gave the example that uh, when he was a householder, he saw in the neighboring house the mother beating her son. She was beating him and she was very angry and he, he, wasn't, he didn't like to be beaten. But uh, she was doing it out of love. Because she wanted the, the boy to learn how to be a good character. So it may seem that it's inconsistent with the nature of God to punish. But that is required for rectification. Everyone has suffered some hellish condition even in this life, isn't it? Sickness, measles. Measles, I don't know. Uh, these are English names of disease. I don't know the Czech name. <laughs> a kind of disease. No? I can't even remember, actually. Such a long time since I had it. But children get it, usually. Okay. Uh, Measles, chicken pox, you get spots of flu. What to speak of malaria. Had malaria? No, it can be pretty nasty. So many horrible diseases. Headache. Many people commit suicide because they have heavy headache which just goes on day after day, month after month it just doesn't go away and some people just say it's too much and one thing that uh, those who are going on book distribution can clearly see is that this world is full of suffering, isn't it? especially when you go door to door when people are outside they put on a bit of a show but at home you find them in their den of suffering I've of course had many experiences like this but there's one which just Many years ago, which struck me so strongly, just at that particular time, I'll never forget it. One evening in an, an, an apartment block in a working class area in Birmingham, we were going door to door distributing books. So I knocked on the door and then uh, some 
woman opened the door housewife and it was chaos inside the house I couldn't see anything because it was in the next room but I could just hear the television was on full blast there were two or three kids shouting and fighting with each other their father was yelling at them the dog was barking and this woman came out and she was she just had this completely stressed out look on her face and there on the wall was the picture of them on their wedding day you know they're looking so nice and happy <laughs> and so this is this is an average british evening the, the man goes out to work and you know he, he at work he's stressed and he comes home and it's it's even worse than work and they spend their whole life like this it's surprising there aren't even more murders than there are because people are just so frustrated with each other so what to speak of hellish planet it's pretty hellish right here now isn't no, it there's that incident that uh Prabhupada was giving gita class in london about you know early 1970 something like that must have been a, must have been around 73 74 and uh, one of my god sisters at the end she asked that Prabhupada is bhagavad gita spoken on the hellish planets Prabhupada said, I'm here speaking Bhagavad Gita in London. This is not hellish enough for you. Prabhupada saw it. It's just hell. People are... Hell is a situation where, where suffer is, suffering is inflicted, right? That's the definition of hell. But in these uh, modern big cities like New York and London, actually what everyone is doing is inflicting suffering on everyone else, either physically, emotionally, uh psychologically or financially everyone's just against everyone else that's why they call it the concrete jungle it's just a lot of wild an- animals consciousness everyone's on like in the jungle an animal's alone and every other animal is trying to attack him and eat him and he's trying to attack and eat every other animal so it's like that in the big cities so hell is here Yeah, okay. for so many uh, yeah uh, what if I really try to live according to regulative principles of bhakti in the society of devotees but I still can't get rid of the idea of sense enjoyment and what should I do if I still have a tendency to break the regulative principle and what should I do if I do break it actually a devotee shouldn't ask this question there shouldn't be a question that what I'll break the principle and what do I do after that? We shouldn't think like that. That becomes a calculated offense. That maybe I'll just break the principle and then, you know, we'll see what to do after that. That's very serious. That's, that's, like in law, there's a difference between a, a, an, a murder that is done just out of some sudden anger and a calculated crime. Planned crime. We should have faith that if we try in devotional service, Krishna will help us. And that it may take a long, it almost certainly will take a, a, quite some time to overcome our lower desires. The problem is that in the modern age we expect everything instantly. You put a coin in the machine, you press the button and Coca-Cola comes out instantly. Or instant internet connection. But patience is required. We have been in materialistic consciousness for and millions of lifetimes so we should have some patience that it may it's not going to take five days or ten days 
It may take some years to become purified, but purified we will be if we stick to this process. We go on hearing and chanting and serving with faith in this process. Pray to Krishna and serve the Vaishnavas. Especially those who are more advanced, their association will help us to become purified. And if we think we don't find very advanced Vaishnavas, then serve all the Vaishnavas. All the Vaishnavas are advanced. They're all way advanced over non-Vaishnavas. But if we don't have faith in this process, and if we think that Maya is stronger than Krishna, then we're actually wanting to be friends with Maya more than with Krishna. So Maya is ready to take us. But Krishna is also ready to take us. We are more practiced to going to Maya, so it may seem easier to go to Maya. It takes little effort to go to Krishna. Some sincerity is required, some effort is required. But just see the result of going to Maya and compare that to the result of going to Krishna. One has to be intelligent. We should open the windows a bit now. What happens if we follow the process of sadhana bhakti, but while practicing it, we still maintain some own concepts or ideas which we don't want to give up? What will be the effect on our spiritual life in the future? Well, from the question, it seems that the answer is already understood. If you thought that there was an auspicious result from maintaining your own desires, then you wouldn't ask this question. Obviously, the person asking this knows that it's not really the proper thing to do to maintain your own material conceptions. But it's like asking, how much can I get away with? Look, I'm going to be in Maya. How, how much can I get away with? Not a good question. Maya means you get smashed, that's all. There's no, uh, you know, there's no holiday. Maya doesn't take a holiday. There's no way to trick Maya. If you think you're tricking Maya, then you've been tricked by Maya. Really, there's no alternative. We have to surrender to Krishna. That's I'll surrender to Krishna, but I'll just enjoy a little illicit sex, intoxication, gambling, and meat-eating on the way. Then uh, the result is not Krishna. Well, you know, just a little, you know, watching a few things on TV. It doesn't really matter that much. It's not so bad. Many other devotees do it also, quoting authority. No, but it is bad because it it, it uh, makes us forget Krishna. And uh, forgetfulness of Krishna is sinful and a disaster. Once The thing is that once we start to indulge in little Maya, then Maya will say, well, why don't you just come a little further with me? It's like taking some drug like, crack or something like this. So <laughs> someone will say to you, well, why, don't you, why don't you just take a little bit? Just try it out, see what it's like. It's one harm, one time, there's no harm. Just see. You say, yeah, well, one time there's not, there's not really that much harm. So, you know, many people are doing it. So, okay, this guy's pushing me. And it's free anyway, so. Just give me a free sample, so. You know. Okay, just give me, just give me a little bit, just to, you know just to enrich my human experience and understand more about life. So I tell you once and you get some euphoria, which is uh, the effect of taking that drug. Not that I took it, but it was before my time. So I, I was before the time of crack. Came after my time. So you get some euphoria, oh, oh that was pretty good. And, uh, and the guy comes again and says, yeah, you want to try it again? I'll, I'll give it free to you again. So, okay. Bites and you're hooked. Then he sells it to you. Then you're the slave. 
So we were reading how a devotee is fearless in Srimad Bhagavatam this morning. A devotee should remain afraid of Maya. Be careful. Don't think, now I am free from Maya. One of my most famous godbrothers said that. As soon as I heard it said that, I knew he was finished. It took about six months. <laughs> yeah. Practical point, what, what do you think about... What do I think? About, it doesn't matter uh, what I think. I'm completely useless. <laughs> this what does Shastra say? Uh, well, about the products like soup or shampoo with tulasi. Are they bona fide? Again, it doesn't matter what I think, but our Acharya Prabhupada has told us not to use them. If he told we can use them, I would use them, but he told us not to, so I don't. Tulsi is meant for offering to Krishna, it's very clear. Can a bhakta can have a, maintain a friendly relationship with a Mataji, for instance, to discuss Krishna Kata, to inquire how she's doing in her service, or is it better to reduce the contact only on necessary matters? Um, well, for brahmacharis, they're only supposed to interact with their mothers uh, as required for service and respectfully, but not intimately. Sometimes it happens that boyfriend and girlfriend, they join together. That may be some different consideration, but the general rule is like that. It's often been seen that What starts off as what you might call like an innocent relationship develops into something less innocent. That uh, a young brahmachari, brahmachari meets some serious, seriously interested young woman and then she visits the temple and he starts preaching to her. And it's all based on Krishna consciousness. But it uh, what happens is that because we're not completely pure, then other motives also enter. So that is the danger. There is, of course, scope for male and female interaction within Krishna consciousness. That is within the Grihastra ashram. But it's not brahmachari training, even though brahmacharis may later become Grihastras, but they should have the training to... uh, during this stage of their life, to not associate intimately with women, but to concentrate on developing Krishna consciousness without that uh, diversion. And the same goes for what in the Brahmacharya ashram, which Brahmachari. is the counterpart of the Brahmachari ashram. Well, it has two parts. The first one was quite covered because it is how how a devotee relates to the mundane catastrophes like terrorist attacks. Well, obviously it's uh, horrible, these terrorist attacks. What kind of hellish consciousness has someone got to be into to either blow himself up or either blow himself up along with them or somehow or other just to kill people, just just kill as many people as he can. For, for what purpose? They don't even know what on earth. What are they doing it for? At the same time, we understand that uh, like the whole society is in a hellish consciousness, and this is a, uh, what they call extremists. This is a more extreme manifestation of that hellish consciousness. People are heartlessly killing animals. So it's, they're also being slaughtered in a heartless way. Yeah. So the second part was 
In a materialistic society, everything is based on the principle first me and then the others. So what, how does it work in the spiritual life? Should we first concentrate on our own spiritual progress and only after that we spread Krishna consciousness? Well, the two things go on side by side. Shakti Kalo Yuge. In Kali Yuga, we get strengths from association. So uh, we cultivate Krishna consciousness and we do that in association with others and try to help others also, and they also try to help us. It's a group effort. And although it's, uh, it requires some qualification, it's not best for complete beginners to sh- try to start preaching when they don't know anything more. But uh, even in the quite new stage of Krishna consciousness, one can be engaged in preaching activities, and the preaching activities also help us to become advanced by trying to help others. Uh, there was a point in the yesterday's morning class that uh, there is an objection in ISKCON that it's, uh, what was the word? Uh, well, that it's not proper to worship. No, it's Ugrana an objection Singha. from someone who was in ISKCON. Yeah, yeah. Who now went to Gorya Mata. Yeah. They're saying that it's that presumptuous, you said. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the question is, what is the philosophical reply to this argument? Well, I did reply, but I said that philosophically it seems he may be correct, but then uh, the Lord, it seems that he's very happy to be worshipped and he's very much reciprocating with the devotees. So it appears that the Lord, out of his kindness, is is uh, accepting or, or actually very eager to accept the worship of uh, of his devotees even though uh, we're not on the level of Prahlad Maharaj. Although the uh, head pujari for their Pankajangri Prabhu, I mean, he's a very special devotee. Even Prabhupada noted that he and his twin brother, Prabhupada said they're pure brahmacharis. They've just been living in Mayapur and worshipping the deities for years and years and years and years and very, very special devotees. So they are qualified. Uh-huh. I, I, I mean, I can't say the Lord, he himself knows, but from from our perception, it seems like that. But there are many, uh, Pankajangabhiru is collecting all different anecdotes about him. He's like making a Stala Purana, you know that? In the Stala Purana, in each holy places they have stories uh-huh. of what's happened there, all the miraculous events, so he already has enough for a small book. I'll just tell one, there are so many incidents of this. Ugra <laughs> Nishingadev, who's actually not at all Ugra to his devotees. So, um, some devotees, the, the Lord was, he came and was installed in the temple and after some time some devotees came and they, you know, for devotees they, they have, for deities they, they make eyes out of conch shell. So some devotee presented them that these are for Lord Nishimhadev. But the, the pujaris were not very enthusiastic to put them on, but the devotee was quite a senior devotee and was insisting and saying, I want to make this offering to Lord Nishimhadev. Mm-hmm. So they put these conchal eyes covering the original eyes of Lord Nishimhadev. Um, shortly after that, the wife of one of my godbrothers who's living there, she got some pain in her eyes, it became worse and worse and she could hardly see, it was getting so bad. 
So she was taking medical treatment and nothing was working. It's very painful also. And she thought, what to do? He said, well, Nushinga Dev, he's very merciful to his devotees. So she went before him one day and she prayed to him that, Lord, uh, please cure my eyes and give back my eyesight so I can have your darshan. And then she heard a voice saying, you give me back my eyes and I'll, get, and I'll give you back yours. He said, who said that? She looked around. She didn't see anyone. And then again she heard the same thing. You give me back my eyes and I'll give you back yours. There's no one talking to her. Who said that? So she she didn't know actually that this thing with the, the new conchal eyes had been given. She didn't know what to make of this. So she went to Pankajangri Prabhu and said, said I, you know, this happened. I prayed like this and You know, what do you, what do you think about this? He knew immediately. Said, oh, no, I knew we shouldn't have put those eyes on. Yeah, so right. immediately went and removed them. She immediately got her eyesight back. There are many, many such stories. Many, many. Uh, yeah. What is the main reason that presently in ISKCON there are so many compromises in the points of spiritual standards and etiquette and uh, morality which were uh, like unflinching at Prabhupada's times and uh, which were like obvious values uh, not to be changed? Well, that's a matter of sociological analysis to try to give an answer to that. But um, that we are... You see what happens? The, 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 the ashram life is a very high standard is very intense and not everyone's able to keep up that intense standard throughout their lives so then they that's expected and they they get married and but we don't Prabhupada wanted these Varnashram communities where devotees could live according to our own principles but if we don't have that and we have to go back to Kami society um, for for our economic subsistence then definitely we're going to be influenced by the values of, of, of that society. That in synopsis is one angle on a major point of discussion. Hmm. Then, finished? Three more we have. Is there any mention of homosexuality in the Vedic scriptures? Well, Prabhupada mentions it in Srimad Bhagavatam, third canto. Um, it, it said that the uh, Lord Brahma created Rakshasas who came to try to enjoy him and by homosex. And Prabhupada in the purport says that, uh, what is the exact wording? That homosex is, I forgot it now. What does he say exactly? It's not, he says it's demoniac, but I can't remember the exact words he said. Hey, the, the, the homosexual appetite of a man for another man is, is demoniac. That's what he said, yeah. Now recently it's been quoted that Prabhupada told one disciple of his who said that I'm homosexual, told him to find a nice boy and live with him. The, uh, the person who's quoting this is quoting that he was told this by a disciple of Prabhupada who's now passed away. So it's quite spurious. Spurious yeah. means doubtful. I think so that... It's not very authoritative evidence. There's a lot of word jugglery that they say that because there, there were these transvestites or whatever who, or natabaris who were invited to the birth ceremony of Jagannath Mishra. So someone is saying that they were, they were homosexuals, but they're not homosexuals. 
Oops, I didn't get this one. Anyway, there's a lot of word jugglery to try to uh, to sh- show that actually homosexuality is acceptable in Vedic society, which it isn't. Acceptable means it may have gone gone on, but not in you know not in spiritual not among spiritually enlightened sections of society, and it's not considered socially acceptable. Not socially acceptable for dharmic people. Sometimes it's cited that you see Arjun, he took the role of a eunuch for one year, but that shows that that shows that such people were there in Vedic society. But one thing is that a eunuch is not exactly, you know, it's quite a different thing to a homosexual, first of all. And another thing is that uh, that was a curse. It was a curse to become a eunuch. It, was not, it wasn't considered something wonderful. And that's uh, right in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, what is that? Uh, right in the beginning, he Krishna chastises Arjuna. What is that word? Klaibhyang mas magama parate. The first words, Arjuna, Krishna says to Arjuna, Klaibhyang, cleave, it means you're like a eunuch. So it may have been there, but it wasn't considered, you know, something wonderful. Let's make him the next prime minister. The He's point is that, you see, people... There are many homosexuals. It's a, it's a symptom of the modern degraded society that there are. But uh, they can also be devotees, they, but they, they can't be a practicing homosexual because there's no... If you want to be a devotee, you have to stop. If you have that, that tendency, you just have to st- stop all sex life because there's no outlet for it according to the regulated principles. For, for heterosex, there is. Grihasta ashram. For homosexuals, there isn't. So you can be a devotee, but no activity, no sex, no homosex. But some people are pushing that, well, we should recognize homosexual marriage in ISKCON, because anyway they're going to do it, so why don't you just recognize it? And then they can gradually become purified. But it doesn't work, because it's a sin. You don't become purified by sinful activity. I gave a, a, one of the seminars I gave this year in Mayapur was on this subject, and devotees asked me, why, why, "What are you talking about that for?" What? The thing is, there's a lot. You may think, "Well, you know, what's the big subject?" But there's a lot of propaganda in our society that this should, this must be allowed in the name of compassion. For that matter, there are lots of people who smoke marijuana and also chant Hare Krishna. Why not allow that also? They're going to do it anyway, so why not just accept it and say it's okay? No, okay, it's not, we know it's not really up to the proper standard, but anyway, Hare Krishna, next. When a devotee is not distributing books, does it mean he doesn't have sufficient realizations and understanding of Krishna consciousness? Who said that? I was just saying the name of Pankajangri Prabhu, he's not, dis- he's not distributing books, he's worshipping the deity, but he's universally recognized as one of the... You know, I mean, like I say, even Prabhupada, he, Prabhupada very rarely said that someone's a, a, a highly advanced or pure devotee about any specific individuals. He said it about them. There's no doubt that Prabhupada very much wanted to, that this book distribution be pushed on, and it should be. But if a book, if someone who's distributing books starts to think, well, I, you know, I'm better and these others, they're all useless, he won't be distributing books for long. Because he's distributing dope or something. Because of his offensive attitude. For a start, if you think I'm distributing books, then you're not distributing books. <laughs> one should only think of himself as an instrument, and only by doing so can one go on distributing books. Hmm. So last one is, 
you've mentioned that killing of old people which is going to happen soon for me it is a quite a fearful idea have you seen any symptoms of yes. this phenomenon yes Srila Prabhupada himself suggested that it was coming and uh, it's already starting with what they call euthanasia that's okay. the first sign they're old they're suffering why not put, stop their suffering by if they agree we can kill them so it's Elizabeth. already uh, legal in the Netherlands, I was told. And uh, recently in some states in America, they started legalizing that also. So with their permission. But then the next thing will be without their permission. It really, because what you see, they have, they have this uh, welfare state in which they, you pay so much money. And then later when you're old, you get the pension, Right. But they don't keep the money for the pen. They spend it on something else with the idea that we'll raise the money later from other people's taxes to pay the pension. That's how it works. Now, at the same time, they have, they're promoting population control. So there's less and less population and less people working. So it's already happened in Japan that, that like 40% of the population is over 60. And it's going to, the demographic studies show this is going to happen in other countries also. So the burden of supporting half the population is going to fall on the old people who are not producing anything. The tax burden is going to fall on about 20 or 30 percent of the population. And they simply won't be able to do it. And then it will seem very logical and practical that people who are useless, they're not producing anything, they have severe arthritis and, you know, every, every old person's got a few diseases. So it will seem very natural just to very humanely give them an injection and solve the problem. I mean, it's just practical, right? These old people, I mean, they, they can't do anything and they have to spend so much, so much money going to the doctors and we don't have enough doctors. And, you know, it's just a strain for everyone, including themselves. Let's be kind to them and just... You know, for the national good and have a, have a debate, hot debate, and then it's voted in and then it's law. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. This Krishna conscious movement, Prabhupada said, will save, will go down in history and having saved society in its darkest hour. And we have to stick to our principles, otherwise we'll become part of the darkest hour. We have to read Prabhupada's books, have faith in that, understand it. Distribute them, preach it to others, and live by it. Understand it, yeah, live by it. Preach it and live by it. All glories to the translator. How do you say that in Czech? Um, well, I'm not really sure. Sashlava Peravotchik. Something like that. Something like that. Hare Krishna. All guys just in the front